Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. I started hearing whispers about Thrawn's return as heir to the Empire. This week, as with so many times before, the story is about clones. Sort of. We pick back up with Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire, and almost right away, a classic Star Wars trope is in motion. Although a lot of other stuff is happening. We've got five chapters to cover in this podcast. We've got a lot of rich character development. Ross, you've read a lot of Star Wars books. Good, not so good, canon, not so canon. Where does this one stack up? Thus far, right at the top, um, it's, I wouldn't say it's the best necessarily, uh, but it's certainly in the conversation. Uh, prior to this, I'd say the book Thrawn, uh, which is the first canon book of Thrawn, um, that alongside uh, Plagueis, which is a Legends book, those were probably my two favorites uh, going into this, and this is right in that category. I'm not going to crown it champ yet, but I could easily seeing, see it being so, and it's just captivating. It really captures the characters well. Uh, Timothy Zahn just shows it's amazing his consistency over decades of understanding this galaxy, um, but it's also really cool to see the fact that despite the discrepancies with canon, it's still so enjoyable and still feels so Star Wars that it doesn't matter. That's been making it so, so easy for me because I've like tried to dip my toes in Star Wars books a couple of times, not to great success, and, and, and partially because I didn't give it that much of a college try, but I also kind of feel like you really got to hook me because these books are beefy, and I've already invested a lot of time in Star Wars, like maybe cut to the chase, and that's my greatest uh, note for, it's not a note, that's the thing I like most about Heir to the Empire so far, is that I feel like we jumped right in, it respects you enough to assume that you know a little bit of what's going on, and mm -hmm. it's full of fan service, and I mean, we saw that in our last podcast, we discussed how they introduced like a chapter with Han and Luke and Leia and 3PO and R2 and Chewbacca, like all in one uh, two-chapter sweep. And so we get more You of get that. it right away in yeah. this sequel trilogy, whereas you don't get it at all in the canon one. That's yes. right. So uh, in the interim, you had mentioned to me that you couldn't wait. You dove right back in, started chapter four, I think immediately after we finished recording. And you Within were quick, the hour. you were quick to tell me that it was the best chapter yet. And boy, were you right. Holy moly. I think you probably knew some stuff about this chapter already. And so you were arriving at some stuff you were expecting to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really what it was. It was, when is this character of uh, Jerus or uh, Joris, uh, Sabaoth or Kabaoth or Kaboath or... Um, however you want to say it, uh, any variation of the multi-named uh, character uh, who is the crazy Jedi. Um, I know of this um, because I've I've read the overarching plot of each of the novels a while back uh, to get kind of familiarized. I don't remember anything that happens in any of the novels specifically, but I remember all the, the major events and all the, the major characters. And so I've been really intrigued to learn more about this character, especially to see is 
Uh, Balin Skull from Ahsoka going to kind of fill some of that void of this character. Uh, but there's also so much in this character that is inconsistent with the way George Lucas executed his prequel trilogy versus what was still ambiguous to Star Wars at this point um, in having this former Jedi Master clone linking back to the Clone Wars because under this circumstance, why not have it be the Jedi who were the ones who were cloned? And it was a pretty tricky process. Yeah. And uh, this was originally supposed to be Obi-Wan uh, and it was supposed to be a crazy Obi-Wan clone. Um, but George Lucas used his uh, very sparing veto on that. And uh, that was one thing he just said, no, that cannot happen. <laughs> it's got to be somebody else. So uh, this is Thrawn and Pelion. They fly the Chimera and crew to Wayland, and they're going to, is it Mount Tantus is the name of yes. the, the mountain? And they're in, in search of an audience with the keeper of the mountain or the, the, guardian. the guardian of the mountain. They get there, and immediately they're met with this old grizzled geezer and yeah of course i don't know at this point that his initial conceit was uh a dark uh obi-wan but it is sort of teased in the lead up to his introduction that a dark jedi has a presence around here and that's immediately curious because like well first of all using the phrase dark jedi is not really terminology that we would use anymore the word sith is not uttered in the original trilogy that's so fascinating but surely that word canonically existed i'm sure that word existed to george lucas but did he share that enough that anybody at the time called them anything but dark jedi i don't i, I don't think so I, I and this is something where i'll never truly know what it was like at that time because i wasn't alive right but from the way people speak about it that's kind of what i i get is that in the 90s and the 80s it was just as likely to be called a, a dark Jedi. I'm sure Sith is, um, it, it's gotta be in some reference material around that time. I would be shocked if it wasn't, but at the same time, this really did kind of kick off legends. So I, I, I don't know. It would have to be, I'd have to do a lot of research to figure out um, the, the knowledge base of fans on the word Sith at, that, it, at this time. It's like how we know George Lucas came up with the name Sheev Palpatine no later than 1976. And so this guy yeah. like had a head full of stuff and terminology for a long time, whether or not it was at the disposal of someone like Timothy Zahn, we'll never know. Yeah. It's I've, depending on which interview of George Lucas you listen to. Um, but most, it's most likely that the main character of like a star Wars was originally supposed to be the name Mace Windu. Uh, I yeah. think that is the first name that he came up with. Um, but it all like, that's the thing. He just keeps it all in his um, kind of selection of things that he can pull out at any given time. And even, uh, I know this is off topic, but apparently he named the character Axe Woves. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just kind of a cool little tidbit that leaked out recently. He just like showed up on set and they were like, what should we name yeah, this character? His... Axe Woves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was his, it was his day to visit Filoni on set. And of course, let's get some George Lucas in on this. And that, uh, as one of the, uh, the bigger fans on set, I'm sure, uh, as an actor, he was thrilled as well. They arrive at Mount Tantus. Thrawn says like very matter of factly, I seek an audience with the guardian of the mountain. Uh, if no one will take him to me, then your people will suffer. So like immediately he's establishing, I'm not to be trifled with, uh, and then, we're introduced to a very hostile wizard. He's described as 
um, dressed in shin-laced sandals and an old brown robe with a glittering medallion of some sort of half hidden behind his beard. And so I've kind of pictured his beard much longer than that of Obi-Wan Kenobi. His face was dark and lined and regal to the point of arrogance as he studied them, his eyes beholding a mixture of curiosity and disdain. You are strangers, he said. Um, and it's notable also that he tries to attack them. Like, we know he's a dark Jedi. He tries to attack them. But Thrawn and company have brought Isalamari, which neutralize his force powers. And so he kind of has to sit there and listen to Thrawn's proposal. Yeah, this is a weird thing and, and definitely something I'm happy is not still in Star Wars because it just feels weird like a Jedi is cut off from the Force because there's a lizard around. Um, but it also goes to show because he's completely baffled as to what's going on. Uh, he has this super cheesy menacing like, oh, I'm going to show you the tomb and then kill you <laughs> like a supervillain. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, it doesn't work. And so Thrawn's just get, gives the deadpan. Uh, it's a little hokey, but at the same time, uh, it creates a really good opportunity for Thrawn to kind of get the upper hand while still showing how smart he is at allowing Sabaoth to think that he has it, which it, is really interesting. It feels to me like the introduction of Yoda and Dagobah because he doesn't even introduce himself as the guardian of the mountain. He's like the guardian of where the guardian of the mountain used to sit because as he yeah. announced you were not going to find him here i killed him ha 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 and so yeah. it's sort of like yoda saying master yoda i'll take you to him but thron is able to look him in the eye and be like well then you're the guardian of the mountain you pedantic fuck like <laughs> you're the guy i want to talk to if you killed the guy i want to talk to yeah, exactly. And you're also going by the same name with a different one extra you and then, of course, that'll change everything. Okay, well, let's talk about that if we're going to bring it up now. And it is notable right away. He's introduced as Master Jorus Kabaeth, uh, and then it's repeated back Joris Kabaeth as a, like a name that's recognized with the characters we know already. And so the only difference on the page is two-letter U's in how he's uh, introduced. And if we jump ahead to the end of the chapter, this is not revealed until Thrawn and... Pelion are like back together and alone, he lets on that he's already cracked the code that it's actually not Master Kabaeth. It's clone of Master Kabaeth. And that's why we don't necessarily have to like worry about him. Yeah. And it's it's your very uh but Sherlock, I don't understand. Explain it to me. Well, Dr. Watson. <laughs> uh it, it's it's very much and that's where they get uh, like a, a really good kind of comparison. And that's what's gonna be a really interesting thing to to see on the screen but it goes to show that thrawn is thinking so many steps ahead and that he's got luke and leia as his bait that he can give to them uh and it also leads me to believe that he has a plan to also probably get rid of uh Sabayoth at some point yeah uh, it's it just it leads me to it, it's setting up the character so well to show that he is just contingency upon contingency Whereas the fact that he has the Islamiri and all these just he's just always thought of the other angle um, and it makes him an even more daunting villain for our for our main characters. Uh, and you also get kind of the the opportunity where Sabaoth is um, taunted by the notion of potentially getting not just Luke and Leia, but then also 
the offspring of Leia. And so having all of these uh, Jedis that he can rule, uh, whereas Thrawn probably also has sights on either getting rid of all of the Jedi or um, still being in charge. There are two different kinds of attack that occur. And I just want to mention that like when he first tries to attack, he uses blue finger lightning like Palpatine, which is interesting. And then when they have to attack him back, uh, there's gunfire and they're able to freeze bullets midair, which is shades of Kylo Ren, which I find pretty cool. I didn't know that existed somewhere long ago. Yeah, that uh, that must have slipped by me in the read about the um, the freezing of the bullets midair. But yeah, that's that is awesome. That makes and, or, or I guess the the blaster fire. It says in three meters from the Imperials, the bolt came to an abrupt halt in midair, and I wrote Kylo vibes. Nice. Uh, so what's crucial about their little chit chat is that Thrawn knows to invoke the Skywalkers. Basically, says if you come aboard help me with my big imperial master plan because uh, you got guys um i'll essentially hand over luke and leia yeah and he does it's funny the way he also brings that up too oh i'm sure you have many jedi under your uh command right and it's like well no the jedi are all but extinct and it's like well two new jedi have risen in the last five years i have an offering for you and they also come with the mystery box that is her pregnancy. And so it's just Thrawn serving them up on a silver platter. Um, and then also aligning with the the next chapter or the other kind of concurrent chapters that we get with our main characters clearly being set up. But that doesn't necessarily go as well. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm overall really curious to see how Sabayoth. Like what he wants with Luke and Leia is he is the goal to is he going to try and be like Palpatine? Is that what they're setting him up to be? Where it's like I just want you to be my agents of evil, the way Vader was to Palpatine. Is that what he's get, get, getting at? I mean, I this this is how Thrawn poses it to him. He says both of them consider what man what a man of your skill could do with brand new Jedi. Mold them, change them, recreate them in any image you choose. And I mean. This is interesting because obviously that's appealing to Kabaeth. We're going to pronounce it differently the whole time, I fear. Um, but you and I know that that's not going to work. Like that was Palpatine's plan all along. That was Vader's plan. Well, oh, he's they're young and naive. I'll just mold them and turn them into the, the agents of imperial power that I know I can. Mm. And, you know, telling a new Jedi master that he could do that with Luke and Leia, who are, by the way, stronger than ever, not going to work. No, of course it's not going to work. The thing I'm curious about, though, is what's his end game there? Does he want to be like Palpatine? I don't think he wants to be necessarily like Palpatine in the sense of ruling everything. And Vader is his watchdog to keep everyone in line. It seems like he almost wants to, like, the opportunity to rebuild himself in, like, like almost kind of symbolically clone himself and recreate the image of him in them. Yeah. Uh, so kind of a little bit of a different way. I see it more as him wanting to maybe rebuild the Jedi Order in his own image versus Palpatine wanting to hoard everything for himself with his one little sidekick. Uh, and so it, it's kind of an interesting angle because also the rule of two isn't really a thing at this time period. And he's also not a Sith. And so it's an interesting angle for a Darksider and one that if that's not what they're going with, Maybe something that they could go with in Star Wars and kind of makes sense. 
And so the Someone other who's just so narcissistic. The other big reveal of the chapter after Thrawn exposes to us the audience and also Pelion that this is clearly a clone uh, and this is what's going on. Uh, he also says that I know Joris Kabea, the real one, is dead because I was aboard the mission that killed him. Mm. And so yeah. that's that's so that was... kind of important history. Yeah, and it's one that's also it doesn't align with new canon because it would imply that Thrawn was with the was within the kind of the Republic command of some kind um, way back in the Clone Wars era. Yeah, but uh, it it does make sense because Thrawn did do missions, and this was one offshoot mission with Anakin during the Clone Wars, mm -hmm. and so it's not, or maybe it was even right before the Clone. It, it was one of those kind of weird like. He only stepped his foot into the galaxy for a little bit and, of course, runs into Anakin Skywalker. And so he, I forget their specific uh, aligning goals. Um, but it, it just goes to show that like they pull these little pieces and, and place them in different spots in canon. Um, but Thrawn still had kind of he's always had his finger on the pulse of what's going on within this galaxy, even though he was a secret to most everyone in the galaxy. And so that's makes him once again a more daunting villain and they, i just i really am impressed with all the angles that they give him it is always clones though eh? and i mean this goes back like way before uh moff gideon and all and of course like snoke and all of the later star wars cloning arcs but like it seems really like we used to be kids who played star wars in the yard all the time we never mm -hmm. we never played clones you know what i mean we like clone plot lines we no. didn't care about clones but like clones are so implicit to what star wars is even more than i realized also you don't know the slightest bit of it when it comes to legends clones yeah this right. is the no what i mean is though this is the tip of the iceberg yeah. you could not be more correct it just gets clonier and clonier and clonier <laughs> the deeper you go into legends uh it is uh it gets bad in certain areas, sure. but then there's also some cool things, and there's also a lot of stuff that they directly pull and put into The Rise of Skywalker uh, and kind of are seeded a little bit in the sequel trilogy, but mostly used in The Rise of Skywalker. And that stuff is built around the cloning concepts that Palpatine was clearly obsessed with, uh, and different storytellers really focus on different obsessions of Palpatine, I guess, whether it's the kind of the political angles or the just sheer tyranny and oppression or his mad scientist side where it's cloning. And uh, I was really I, I like that Gideon had that kind of angle uh, uh, recently. And I'm, I'm excited to see the implications of more Snoke arcs in uh, current canon, too. And so just to be clear, this Kabayath guy in the first draft was was supposed to be Obi-Wan Kenobi, but an evil version of him. Um, yeah. and, and George Lucas was like, no, you just can't. The cool idea, but yeah. no, I have to veto that. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that would have been written in, in the sense that they would have obviously known that Obi-Wan was dead, or maybe that Pelion would have brought that up earlier and been like, well, I know for a fact that he's dead. It was um, it went around the Death Star that day. Um, but but would it have... I it, I don't know. That's a great point because that's, I was joking in that sense. And the Death Star does blow up right after. And yeah, maybe, I mean, only a couple stormtroopers would have known what happened. And maybe that's not going to spread. The, oh, Vader killed an old man. Um, that's, yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe they think it's Obi-Wan. And also most of the Imperial officers didn't really care what Vader was up to in his old grudges and his weird like Jedi stuff. Like they were not that concerned with like the legends that preoccupied the once Anakin Skywalker at all. 
No, that's definitely true. Uh, and it's also, I think, hinted at, I think they even mentioned something along those lines by discussing Pelion's kind of disdain for that sort of aspect of um, what brought down the Empire. There is a line later on that that I can see how it was originally written for the Obi-Wan thing, but we're not going to lean on that too much because they, they don't end up going in that direction. I actually got more... No, but I, I'm curious to know what that is, though. Yeah, it's coming in a later chapter. I got more Saruman vibes than Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, from the character? 100%. Yeah. Really good comparison. That's exactly the vibes I was getting. I wasn't. I couldn't put a finger on it, but that's 100% what I'm picturing and uh, seeing in my head. Uh, just a, a, a more disheveled and unhinged Saruman and less composure. Yeah. Um, a little bit easier to read. I kind of see him as being so off and just into hiding and was a kind of a Jedi monk who went crazy and then became evil. I, and did this kind of elaborate hokey sort of, I'm going to trap you sort of thing. I see him as being a little bit. Exactly what Saruman does though. He's like not that deft. And he definitely was a fallen wizard who just kind of gets more and more pathetic. The more committed to the darkness he becomes. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess maybe I'm not kind of remember. I remember just a little bit more, uh, composure and poise with Saruman that I'm picturing. I'm picturing this guy being just totally like just a broken, broken man and probably weighing like 90 pounds and being so baffled and uh, not able to hide any of his emotions on his face. That's just kind of the way I'm I'm picking it up, but definitely that just obsessive uh, aspect of Saruman for sure. So we'll jump into chapter five, which is just like a quick little chit chat scene. Um, and it takes place back with the good guys. It's a provisional council meeting. It's kind of like a day at the office. Um, Han and Leia are there. Luke is there too, although he doesn't say much. Um, Mon Mothma is here, which is exciting. Admiral Akbar is here, which is cool. And we're also introduced to uh, Phalia, I, I guess is how it's pronounced. And this character is a Bothan. So this is our first Bothan character. Yep. The Bothans are introduced right away in Legends. Uh, they're, well, that's the thing. They're still one of the few things completely untouched in canon. Yeah. And are we going to get them in Andor Season 2? Or like the Dave Filoni movie, like it'd be really cool to finally get the Bothans or maybe we find out the Bothans aren't a species. But this is one of those instances where they're leaning in like, nope, the Bothans are a species and here's one of them. And we know that they're linked and they're rebel spies. And so, of course, that they're here. It makes a lot of sense. And it's also implied here that the they also discovered the location of the second Death Star, which we know they're responsible for for uncovering the initial Death Star. But it says here. No, this, no, the, it is the second one, because remember, it's it's Jin or so that's gets the first one so it's oh i thought that was linked to the same that the no, bothans no helped. no because uh, okay. mom moth is only in return of the jedi oh right okay yeah no i've made that confusion before as well <laughs> it's the two death stars problem <laughs> it, it is the two death stars problem palpatine <laughs> uh somehow palpatine returned i'm, I'm struggling is to remember the chapter where they do the it's a trap joke there is an it's the trap joke, and I'm I'm trying to find it. No, it's not. Okay, it's not, it's not yet. It's That's one of the other ones. Because the, yeah. there's another chapter that kind of mirrors this one coming a little bit later. Uh, this one, we're just kind of discussing whether or not Captain Solo's uh, smuggler propositions are even really working. Like, is this really worth yeah. our time? Yeah, basically seeing it, he's saying that there's no real reason for them to change what they're doing now. 
They certainly don't trust the New Republic. They think they're being basically brought into it. No, yeah, you sure it's not this one? Because he says that we're being brought into a trap. He's like, is that a dig at me? <laughs> and, but I don't know, maybe. Anyway, that's yeah. what it, it, it's a funny little play on words in terms of Akbar acknowledging that maybe he has a, a pattern of pointing out traps. <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of something else. I, I no, Leia later on gets. Um, I've got a bad feeling about this. That's what I was thinking. That's a okay, little yeah. fan service moment for Leia at the later chapter. Yeah. Um. The other thing about Mon Mothma here is that she's really urging that we involve Luke in more diplomacy. And Luke is like, none of them are really interested in that. Like Luke wants to focus on on the Jedi shit. And in fact, so does Leia. And we're going to talk about that later on too. She wants to do less diplomacy herself. But they want in particular for this mission to uh, Bimisari, they want to send yeah, the all three of them to go see the Bims. Yeah, they, in, well... Han can go. They want to send Luke and Leia. Right. <laughs> and uh, so and Han kind of makes it known that that's the case. Um, but yeah, the Bims apparently have a, a hero complex. And so they really want to see the great Luke Skywalker. <laughs> but it's also a trap uh, to a certain degree. It and is. so in, in some way, shape or form, they have been um, their hands been forced by Thrawn through either a game of dominoes or uh, Catmos or who knows what. But and um, when they they go on that mission, Luke agrees to go and uh, he uh, gets his Jedi um, senses tested and and, and kind of whiffs on his first attempt and assessing. I don't see I don't think they're being duplicitous. I don't think they're trying to trick us. Yeah, this takes us into chapter six and, and yes. very naturally. Uh, so as soon as they arrive there and maybe you can refresh me on exactly what they're trying to do. I know they're trying to go to the law tower and they have a meeting like scheduled with essentially the mayor bim um but mm. he takes ill and he's not able to see them presently and so there has to be like some some they have to kill some time and so the bims are like let's give you a tour leia why don't you go to market because women be shopping like they're they're trying to <laughs> distribute them namely they're trying to separate them yeah yeah they're really trying to separate them to be honest i don't remember what they're doing because all I heard was, I'm on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically just like, I'm on a mission yeah. so that I can be in danger. It's just uh, that's Yeah. And so I'm sure there is a reason, but I'm sure it's just some BS diplomacy. And that's the reason why I can't remember it. Uh, but they do very obvious attempts to split them up. Luke seems to think it's no big deal. Um, maybe just standard political buttering up. Um, but then they get jumped, basically. Can and... we just backtrack? Because I wanted to point out another little bit of fan service. Oh, as, yes. as we're like uh, landing on the planet, um, there's this funny little fan service interaction between Leia and Chewie. And the prose says, even after all these years, she still couldn't understand him nearly as well as Han could. Some subtle level of harmonics in the Wookiee's voice, apparently, that she had trouble picking up. And then Han urges to Chewie, you've been fawned over before. Remember that big awards thing back at the Yavin base? I didn't hear you complaining then. And so this is Timothy Zahn being like, don't worry about Chewie's medal. We don't care about yes. that. <laughs> yeah, gr great pickup. That's exactly what I was thinking about as well. Because they make sure they also do that in, in in Legends. They make sure it's, it's but not, they don't beat you over the head with it quite the degree like that Rise they of Skywalker. do in in Rise of Skywalker, here, Chewie, it's so important. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they uh, are welcomed into town, uh, you got to check your armor at the gate. 
They are stripped of all their weapons except for Luke Skywalker's uh, uh, lightsaber. And they're not really sure why that is. Like, maybe they just don't know what lightsabers are, but they let them keep it. Yeah, I'm going to assume it's that they don't know what lightsabers are, but maybe it's one of those instances of the, the Din Djarin argument where it's like weapons are a part of my religion, and so they kind of respect it in that way. Uh, or maybe they know what's going on, but they're under duress, and they're like, okay, uh, we can't say, we can't plead dumb and ignorant to the guy with the holster on the outside <laughs> of his uh, uh, pants the weird cylinder on uh the monk's uh bells right so like maybe there's a little bit of we don't want to set you up but we're doing it anyway and so there's a whole lot of angles i'm not quite sure the reason as to why they did that um because they could have just put luke in an instance where he only uses the force uh they kind of make it like he's starting out that way where he's trying to just um, make do with the force and then whips out his lightsaber. Yeah, I mean, but, he does a cool thing later in this chapter where he fires someone's gun on themselves using the force, which is kind of a cool, I mean, it's a bit of a cheap shot, but it's also pretty badass. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a very cool move and one that uh, I would like to see more subtle uses of the force like that to like press buttons from a distance or to like do what obi-wan did i was really happy when obi-wan did the the call back to like the making the the sound elsewhere and the obi-wan kenobi show because uh, like i would just i like seeing those little nuances of the force yeah it shows yeah. the creativity of the jedi um and it's leia who kind of has her red flags up like she's suspecting yes. this is where she says i have a bad feeling about this she's suspecting that something's weird about how they're constantly being separated and then before too long uh indeed they are uh cornered and attacked but not by bims by this third party species that they can't identify just a gray alien species an army of them is just coming at them from all corners Yes, these are the Nogri, and so this is what... Um, have we said or, that word so far? Have I seen the Nogri? Yeah, uh, you would have seen the Nogri. I don't know if they... Um, like, I think you're right, though. I don't think they specify them as being Nogri at this specific point, but they have to be because they're the way they're described, they're described identical to the Nogri. So uh, in the first chapter, Rook, who is the bodyguard of Thrawn, yeah. who scares Pelion, he's a Nogri. Okay. Um, they're just gray, like ninja aliens that's what it is and sure. they in, in in legends at least palpatine kind of co-opted the whole race and trained them up to be like his um like black unit his like black ops team and yeah. so that's what they're sent in as and uh they're i don't think they're as i don't think they're actually quite linked really much at all in in canon um like the empire and and the nogri species but i'm almost positive that's what it is and the nogri are very linked with ron for that reason i'm quite sure that's not been established because in the most recent chapter which is chapter eight or whatever uh, which we haven't gotten to yet, they're back mm. at the Provisional Council and they still haven't been able to identify what the aliens are. And they even speculate, like, did the species themselves wipe themselves from the database? Like, Professor Oak's Pokedex is not working. We can't figure out how, how to identify these creatures. Or, um, Master Jedi, could someone have erased it from the database? <laughs> yeah. And why yeah, would they have done that? That's right. And so there's... Uh, or that's something that... Thrawn, once again, is thought 30 steps ahead on, and uh, he's the one who's really being the master manipulator of the Nogri species at the time. Um, but it is a weird thing, because 
it's got to be them. They're described identical to the species, and I don't. And I know they play a role in this book, so it's just it, it, I'm surprised that they haven't been mentioned. Whereas Rook was described as well in the first chapter too. So all of chapter seven is just an action sequence. It's just them yeah. like at first trying to fend off the hostility and then ultimately escaping. And so there's not a lot of plot. It's just exciting mm-hmm. uh, character to character. Um, this stood out to me right at the beginning of, of chapter seven, though. We're talking about Luke. He spun around the ancient tapestry he'd been studying uh, forgotten as his Jedi senses flared into combat readiness. And so he's kind of panicking, like, exactly how am I going to tackle this? But talking about the Jedi texts as an ancient tapestry. Uh, well, I don't think it was the Jedi text. No, it, uh, it just kind of feels like that's that's supposed to be. I mean, it's talking about his Jedi senses, and it's supposed to be some kind of guide in how he reacts in a moment like this, force wise. But I could be I wrong. To- I, I I might have. I I thought he literally rips a tapestry off the wall. Oh, that's also a thing, but that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, sorry. I, I was confused. I was like, we totally read this differently then. No, no, he did <laughs> no, He did no, rip I, I, a, a tarp off the wall, but this says the ancient tapestry he'd been studying forgotten as his Jedi senses flared into combat readiness. Okay, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting way. I, I kind of just thought he was looking at the tapestry on the wall, mm-hmm. um, but maybe he's referring to the fact that the Jedi, and that would make a ton of sense that it would be done in like a tapestry way. And I think it'd be cool to see that in kind of like the mangled movie and, and seeing like the evolution of um, what came before the Jedi texts even, or maybe we see the writing of those Jedi texts because that's what Star Wars decided. You know what? We're going to, we're going to pick, this is the one time where we have books. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's so true. It's the only books in Star Wars. We invented books. We invented a publishing industry. Just yeah. for <laughs> just for the sacred Jedi text, and then Octu, we burned it down just like we did with the tree in the end. We get a, a little more uh, fan service. Uh, Luke remembers his skiff battle with Boba Fett. That like he's engaged in some kind of combat, and it reminds him of Boba Fett, which is just a way Weird. to draw the reader in. It, it wouldn't yeah. happen to him. He doesn't care about Boba Fett. No, and it also happened five years ago, and it was like based off of the way that Luke is written. Luke has been on probably several more harrowing adventures than escaping Jabba's palace since then. And so it was a little silly to reference it, but I guess it kind of makes sense in the way that it's hard to imagine what the star, what the extensive nature of the star Wars galaxy was at this time, because it's so huge to us now that a reference like that does seem weird, but it probably is a very fair reference to make. Oh, sure. And I'm being way too harsh at the time period because there's only so little to draw from. Yeah, no, if it's your contract to write a Star Wars book, you're going to have to find some peace with putting that kind of stuff in. Like, that's yeah. that's what people want to see. It's 1991. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, then we cut to Han and Leia kind of in a similar situation. And up to now, the last three chapters... They're, they've kind of been further ingraining this awkward dynamic between Han and Leia, which we know best from The Force Awakens, which is really good. And that has remained very canonically true. It's clear that they love each other, but they're not spending a lot of time together, and there's something strained about their marriage. Um, they're backed into a corner, and, and Leia says, should I try to take their weapons away from them? And Han says, you'll never get all 11. And I highlighted that because I wondered, like, is this just a realistic exchange? Just Han saying, 
well, no, don't be crazy. You can't take, you can't disarm 11 enemies at once. Or is it kind of an insight into his lack of faith in her training or her in general? Uh, that's interesting. The reason I smirked when you were saying that there, because when you said, uh, when you just emphasized the 11, I was just thinking never more than 12 just immediately went into my head for some reason. <laughs> uh, I think it absolutely. And I think it's a, it's a good observation uh, that it's another emphasis that he's pissed off that Leia doesn't have training. I think that's what he's mad about. I think he sees it as unfair that Leia has this gift, but that she's not able to get the same liberties and luxuries and time off that Luke does. Right. Basically, like, I want to spend time with my wife. I know she's so damn good at whatever she does. Why can't she do the thing that allows me to spend time with her? But Luke also saved the damn galaxy, so it's not like it's not important either. Like, she's great at these two things. And it's a little bit selfish, but at the same time, it's really human upon. And I think it is. I do think he has tons of faith in her. I think that's it. I think he has so much faith in her, but it's misplaced in the way he's showing support and kind of taking jabs at the situation and just the overall maybe also maybe lack of interest that Leia is showing in pursuing Luke's path, whereas she does seem to be choosing the political path. And that's OK. And it is what Leia's path ends up being. Well, and it's it's also choosing her in spite of some of her inclinations and yep. Hans. And it's interesting that already in this point in the timeline, he is showing some belief in the force because that's it was not so long ago that like he was never going to say like, yeah, you should probably focus on your training. Yeah. The force, the Jedi, it's real. All of it. All of it. So they do eventually make a getaway on the Falcon. Um, they're kind of catching their breath. Finally, we get a little bit of 3PO and R2 bickering, which has kind of been like, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> it's like a little uh, irritated 3PO. They're kind of like, uh, he told me to duck. No, Captain Solo didn't tell you to duck. It's like meaningless, but it reminds you that they're there. And it's it kind of paints the picture that like yet again, 3PO is clumsily and in the middle of all this serious action. Yeah, I think it's probably hard to write R2. Yeah, probably. I think that may contribute to the lack of banter. Uh, but I guess the banter is what can bring R2 to life because 3PO is the one who... He carries the conversations. We all know that. Uh, but overall, it, it is really nice to see all of the classic characters true to form. Um, and it's it's good that they're reminding us that they're there. Uh, Chewbacca is another one that's going to be interesting to see like if they're able to really write him all that well over yeah. the next uh or trilogy of books uh because i know he certainly has a, a a pretty legendary role in legends um but i'm curious to know how it's written do they like put in any sound effects when you're listening to the audiobook can you hear oh yeah it's great chewbacca beeps? sounds awesome three yeah. like three po sounds amazing um r2 the beeps you get everything it's uh the sound effects really adds a lot to uh, painting the picture. Um, so I, I'm I'm curious sometimes as to like, really, how would that come across in the page? So uh, now we're kind of debriefing exactly what happened here. Um, they they suppose that um, the leader of the BIMs who was like showing them around had been uh, bribed to lead them into danger. And that this sort of winks to the reader that uh, Kabeath or, or, or Thrawn or whatever has has orchestrated this attack. But of course, it was unsuccessful. Yeah. 
And that's the thing. It's like it, it's probably bribery. Uh, it could be any one of a number of things, but it's ultimately it leads back to Thrawn um, imposing his his wishes uh, upon the situation. Uh, they don't really know what's going on. It, it's just, I guess, kind of a, a chapter to really establish that our heroes are completely in utter confusion. They don't know what's going on. Uh, whereas all we've all seen from Thrawn is that he just knows everything that's going on. But at the end of the day, they still got away. And so it'll be um, interesting to see the second attempt to apprehend them or whether or not they will next learn what the grand plans are and walk into the trap uh, intentionally. I could very much foresee, like, I'm not saying I'm not saying this because I remember some tidbit from something that I read in a summary years ago, but I could absolutely see Luke like walking into the gates of hell sort of thing to go just surrender to Thrawn and Sabaoth in a way of just like trying what he did with Vader and Palpatine. Like, let's see if this works again. Let's see if I can just walk into these guys and somehow walk out the only one left. Um, And he'll also do that in a way that ensures Leia's safety. And then that'll throw another wrench into the the Han Leia um frustrations around Leia's training and so it'll be interesting to kind of see how that's done if that's the way that they choose to go or if Thrawn's just successful on the next kidnapping attempt so this chapter ends uh in a very conclusive way uh per our conversation a minute ago about Leia and the force and how Han feels about it and how Luke feels about it uh very interestingly Han asks Luke isn't it about time Leia had a lightsaber of her own Luke shrugged I can't make her, I can make her one anytime she's ready. And that was so interesting, this idea that like the master would make the lightsaber for the apprentice. So cool. Yeah, that is a really interesting thing that stood out to me. And I wasn't sure whether it's a matter of like, is it because you, is that the way it's done at this time? Or is it supposed to be that you're the only one who knows how to do it? Like, what's the, like, what's the reason behind that? Is he it a matter of know like, that well how to do it. He's done it before. But no, and it just feels <laughs> like like the only time we've seen we've seen it is through a deleted scene yeah. and it was him building it in a cave or finishing the final touches. Uh, and so you would just assume that that would be something that Leia is supposed to do on her own. And I'm glad that they changed that in canon and it's very much a rite of passage. But also a little bit of a small tangent here, um, despite absolutely being a rite of passage and something that the Jedi themselves build, um, there's a character in Star Wars called Hu Yang. Mm. Professor Hu Yang, he's a droid and he's probably 25,000 years old. He's probably, he could be in the Dawn of the Jedi movies. Like he is, he's as old as the Jedi themselves pretty much. Uh, And he was a droid designed to help with lightsaber construction. And he lives all the way up through and apparently survived the, the purge uh, and the Imperial reign and is going to be in the Ahsoka show. Uh, That's really exciting. Yeah. He's voiced by David Tennant, but essentially he's, the lightsaber droid of galactic history. And so he's a really interesting character, but also um, assists the younglings because the younglings aren't going to really know how to do it. They're younglings. And so that's why they have a droid who works with them for it. And so that was a real, I think Star Wars nailed it in the new canon with that. 
Um, but it's just, it was a really interesting thing that just like, oh yeah, I'll build her one sometime if she wants one. <laughs> Leia hesitated. I don't know. She confessed. I've never really felt comfortable with the things, which kind of like explains why she, we ultimately really never see her with one, save one flashback. And then the chapter ends kind of back in, in Luke's imagination. Leaning back in his seat, Luke watched her tackle the hardened webbing, a familiar hollow pain in the pit of his stomach. I took it upon myself, Ben Kenobi had said about Darth Vader, to train him as a Jedi. I thought I could instruct him just as well as Yoda. I was wrong. I was wrong. And so I don't know if this is Luke worrying about what could become of Leia if he does it wrong. I think that's probably what's going on. He's, he's, he's showing some insecurities about his capacity as a master. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's interesting, and I forget who, where I heard this recently, and it was, it blew my mind when I heard it. I was so impressed with the observation. I was like, oh, that is such a good, and it also doubles down for, like, how impressed I am with Ryan Johnson in, in, in general, despite not loving everything in, in that movie. But it's that in Empire Strikes Back, Yoda says, um, your weapons, you will not need them. Mm. Um what is in there only what you take with you and so luke takes in his weapons because luke's destiny is to have to throw down his weapon when confronting vader mm. and instead of going in unarmed he's not ready at this point what happens when luke goes to see kylo he brings his weapon mm -hmm. he can't control himself he pulls it out he, he controls himself and that he doesn't strike Kylo down, but that he came in with his weapon. That was the mistake right there from the get-go. And that was when he made the Jedi error in the sense that he brought in, like, you have only what you take with you. And so I think it, it's it's really interesting to show that Luke is so attuned to that, like, kind of acknowledgement this early on in his Jedi journey in Legends. And so that's another thing that was kind of a, a big divergence there's a case that he's not making the jedi error there he's making the skywalker error he's yep. he's he's choosing violence in, in a way which is sort of in his dna and ultimately he is yep. he is the antithesis of what his father his father's choices amounted to he's the opposite of that but he still has darkness in him yoda said that from the get-go yeah, because everybody does. Sure. And it was one fleeting thought, as Luke described, and I believe that to be the accurate description, despite they do kind of like the Rashomon effect thing. But that that one fleeting thought, it's kind of the showing that Anakin was willing to sacrifice the many to save the one. Mm -hmm. Whereas Luke thought for one second to sacrifice the one to save the many, but wouldn't do it. And the same thing, whereas he also was going to go confront Vader and thought for a second as he was hacking at his arm that he would kill him, but then threw down his weapon. And so it goes to show like, I also, I think that's a, like a really big win either way you do it, whether it's the legends approach or the canon approach, because Luke gets it no matter what he doesn't make the, the, the error. He, he thinks about it or it crosses his mind, but he doesn't make the error. And that's really good consistency. So you're absolutely right. And I, the reason I didn't recognize the word Nogri is because I just read it for the first time this morning and it only appears once on the page. But chapter okay. eight begins uh, back with Pelion and Thrawn and Kabaeth. And uh, it's, uh, he says, your Nogri have failed. So too bad. And on more processing business, you promised me Jedi, Grand Admiral Thrawn. That's what Kabaeth says. Um, yeah, and, so it is confirmed the Nogri. And this is where 
Thrawn's like, well, hang on now. Like, that's not exactly how I struck the deal. I told you it's going to take a little while. And this is where he really flexes his knowledge and power. He's like, and by the way, like, how curious would it be if a rumor were to get out there that Joris Kabaeth might, in fact, be working with the Empire when, hmm, pretty sure everyone knows he's already dead. And so this is him winking at the wizard saying, I know your secret, man. Don't try and, and get tough with me. This is like yeah. a great power moment from Thrawn. Yeah. Like, I get the reason as to why people were so excited. Of course I get it. Thrawn, as we did our top characters, one of my favorite characters in Star Wars. Um, but it's such a powerful introduction for a character. It is. Like, this is the first time you're bringing in a new big bad in Star Wars, uh, eight years after Return of the Jedi, and this is who you're following up with. You're starting damn strong in your first eight chapters. This guy is menacing and you are checking the box. Uh, and also interesting in totally new ways to Vader and Palpatine. Did I miss what Sparty cylinders are? Because it's implied that like that's what he... It's, he calls it a little bit of technology I was hoping to find on the mountain. And No, you're not supposed to know what those are. I have no idea what those are. I okay. might know what they do um, based off of what I know occurs in these books, but I have no freaking clue as to what they are. Interesting. There's a bit more uh, discourse between Kabaeth and Thrawn. Um, it's sort of like, is the Force stronger than the machines we've created? And they both, you know, have a case uh, in that argument. Um, mm. Doesn't really go that far. Um, I guess I don't have any other big observations. Uh, although they do bring up Vader again at the end of this. And this is where Thrawn kind of like puts a period on the conversation. Thrawn smiled faintly. You served, and he's talking to Pelion at this case, and Pelion's just kind of this like sniveling, like never has faith in exactly, he's doing whatever Thrawn says. He's a good character, I guess, and I can't say I wouldn't be exactly like him in his situation, but he has no backbone. He just has no. to follow Thrawn, Thrawn around. Uh, Thrawn smiled faintly at Pelion. You served too long under Lord Vader, Captain, he said. I have no qualms about accepting a useful idea merely because it wasn't my own. My position and ego are not at stake here. So he just yeah. he cannot be shaken, but he knows a thing or two about what motivated Vader. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what actually they lean really heavily into in canon is that nobility of Thrawn's a yeah. little bit. He is loved by his crew. His crew loves him because he takes care of them. He is a good leader. Um, he's not like, like they run like the, probably the tightest ship in the galaxy, but like, he also trains them up to be elite officers, and he is someone who's a really good team player. Uh, and so that's something that is also the anti-Palpatine invader. Yes. Um, but at the same time, he also takes no shit from anybody. And so as long as you're willing to play his game, he will take the rising tide lifts all boats mentality until he needs to sink you. Right. And so he's he, he it's it's great the way that they do balance those two things. Um but that's kind of why Thrawn is sometimes criticized as being too I guess noble in in, in the new canon is because they they do lean into that a little bit because you get to see his rise through the ranks too. And that's something I really enjoy. You get to see him being like spit on by everybody and treated like absolute shit at a low rank. And then rise to the very top of the empire. And so you, of course, get to understand the man a little bit more. Whereas this, they introduce him with like some iron fists already. There's just no way I'm going to come out of this not like major team Thrawn. This is, it's already so clear. And I'm only 20% yeah. through this book. Uh, so then we pivot back to the inner council. 
good guys. It's exactly the same people. Uh, Phalia, Mon Mothma, uh, and and definitely the solos, the couple. Um, and some of the stuff we've actually already discussed. What were those gray-skinned beings that were mm. uh, attacking us? Why can't we figure out who they were? Did they erase their existence from the records? Maybe they destroyed the records. Why would they do that? Um, and this is kind of interesting. And this is sort of where the chapter concludes. Han, um, Leia suggests that maybe she'd like a little bit of time off from her diplomacy. And I hinted at this a little bit earlier. Um, and Han really defends her. He says, we're not talking about a vacation here. Leia needs needs more time to concentrate on her Jedi training. And she gets shut down. Mon Mothma tells her, no, this is not the time. We need mm. you here. Which is also shitty because she's also pregnant too. Yeah. So she's got a lot on her plate. And Mon Mothma, Mon Mothma is unfortunately pretty incompetent at the end of her reign in both canon and legends. Um, yes. So she's going to go out with a fizzle uh, when we see her in Ahsoka. Uh, she doesn't really lead from the top that well. She's a, a really great um, spark of hope and, and a leader of a rebellion. But at the same time, she doesn't know how to rebuild a galaxy. And that's it's not her fault. That's a pretty hard task to be up to. But she's she's just not up to it. She is positioned as like quite a hero, though, in Andor. Like, remember how she was my favorite part of Andor? It just seemed like she was going to be the one to save things. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me too. I and, guess uh, politicians let you down once they actually have the job to do. That's what always happens. I guess that's maybe what they're going for a little bit. That as much as she's a really good person and she did a lot of great things on the way up. When she got to the tip top, it was she got promoted out of her kind of area of expertise, whereas she could she could run a a crew of rebels that are kind of scrappy and running on a shoestring budget. But when you have all of the taxpayer dollars in the, the galaxy, you end up squandering it on X, Y and Z. And so it's it's very believable. Uh, and uh, a nice, I, I tip my cap to Star Wars for that, um, for making someone who's so good and like likable, not flawless the way like someone like Padme was. This is the last thing I want to talk about. And I had teased this a little bit earlier. We have to go back. I'm sorry. We're a little bit all over the map here. We're trying to like relay yeah. stuff that we've just read once. And it was a pretty big chunk of book, but this goes back to. Thrawn flexing to Kabaeth, well, maybe we'll let it slip that you're not who you say you are, and then you really won't have any power. Um, he says, we could begin starting rumors of your presence somewhere, Master Kabaeth, some sparsely populated world where you might have lived for years without anyone really noticing rumors of that sort that would uh, be certain to make their way back to the new rep, he stops himself, to the rebellion, he corrected, glancing at Thrawn, particularly with the name Joris Kabaeth attached to that. Kabayath snorted. And you think that on the strength of an idle rumor, he'll rush he'll rush foolishly to find me? And he's talking about Luke Skywalker here. You really think that you can like draw out Luke Skywalker just because there's a rumor out there that like Dark Master Jedi is floating around? And this is what felt to me like it still had the DNA of Obi-Wan being in the first draft of this book. That like if if Luke heard that there was a dark, evil Obi-Wan out there doing stuff, using Obi-Wan's name, using Obi-Wan's face, that would be enough to get Luke out there in the arena. It would be really useful bait for Thrawn. I think it would actually, my guess is in the first draft, 
It's not an evil Obi-Wan. It's just Obi-Wan. Yeah. That's the reason as to why Obi-Wan had to leave Luke. It's the fact that he was returning to the real world. Um, oh, that would be, a, that'd be it, a really slippery slope, though. Well, no, that would have been what it was pitched, I think, in the sense of... I think the whole point was it was supposed, still supposed to be an Obi-Wan clone, an evil Obi-Wan clone, yeah. but that... We, we, would, you, we would you pretend you that he was a good guy, and that would yeah, you could easily lure Luke in pretty pretty quickly with Obi Wan's back and he's alive and on this planet here that is a trap yes. spelled yes. differently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, loved it. Five five chapters, a lot to talk about in there, and we were kind yeah. of all over the map, but it's still a, a pleasure to discuss it with you because it's just. It's so juicy. I think we can probably go back to just three chapters for the next chunk because that's like 34 sure. pages of reading and um, it feels like that's the the best, most contained way to get a full picture of every angle of the story in one week. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. But, Sounds good. But this was great. Yeah, it, it was, it's an absolute blast. I'll probably put it on uh, right after this. Nice. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to make some dinner after this and so I'll probably be putting that on. Any big Star Wars news things we got to hit on? Lots, actually. Yeah, I know um, there's an ah Ahsoka trailer, and the phrase "heir to the Empire" is uttered in it. Yes, that's actually that one came out a while ago. That yeah. that specific one, um, but there's been a couple iterations of the Ahsoka trailers um, showing a detail, like kind of an up close look on the Inquisitor, and that's really sparked up conversation as to who the hell is this Inquisitor? Mm. Is there a chance this is Star Killer? From the Force Unleashed. Wow. Brought in as an Inquisitor form, which would make a lot of sense. Is it potentially Barris Offee, who was a Jedi apprentice, who was a background character in the prequels, but was Ahsoka's age, and they were really good friends. And then Barris framed Ahsoka for um, terrorism uh, and uh, then was sent to prison and would have been exactly who Palpatine would have recruited as an Inquisitor along during the order 66 purge it's yeah. exactly who he would have been like okay pluck you pluck you you're an angry young jedi it's exactly who he would have wanted and is a nemesis of ahsoka with a history of friendship makes complete sense that they'd want to put her in the show and so i've got I, it seems like that's the best lead that or it's just a new character but it just feels weird that an inquisitor would be in this show after ahsoka's killed a lot of inquisitors and had a lot of inquisitor encounters and whatnot like we don't need a new one. Right. So make it, it it should be Barris. It just it's the only thing that really makes sense unless they're maybe doing some retelling of some, some other story, but I think it's probably Barris Afi. Uh they do kind of just a, a, a little bit more continuous uh showcasing of uh what we're going to get to see in the show, some up close shots of Hera. Hera looks a little odd, but certainly willing to give it a little bit more time um on big screen. And then you get to see Sabine with Ezra's lightsaber. Mm. And so this is going to confuse a lot of people who just don't know the character and be like, oh, new Jedi. No, Mandalorian, who just Ezra didn't take his lightsaber when he got shot off into who knows where in the galaxy. And so his lightsaber was left behind. So Sabine took it. Okay. Interestingly, okay. though, maybe she's been using it because it is drastically different from what it is in animation. Um, it is the biggest, like the, the, the emitter's different. It's okay. the same lightsaber, but the emitter is very, very different. You're sure and it's so, the same lightsaber and it's not like one of those um, homage hilts? It doesn't make any sense. Like she, she wouldn't have a green lightsaber and she would have Ezra's lightsaber. Okay. Just, and so it, but it makes like, maybe it was something where it just the prop wouldn't work, but they didn't even get it close. 
Um, so maybe there's some other story where she's been using it and someone cut it in half on her. And so she had to fix it before she went to go look for Ezra. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know, but it seems like she, she also at a time wielded the dark saber. So she has experience with a lightsaber. And so it's cool to see her kind of facing off against Shin, um, maybe kind of balancing it. Like maybe that's where her major duel will be. Whereas Ahsoka's will be with Balin, um, really being far more master and apprentice kind of style. Uh, maybe uh, Sabine will continue to explore the Force, although not being able to necessarily tap into it. So a lot of those things are kind of opened up. But overall, this show is just looking so good. And every oh, yeah. time I, I watch it, I just get more excited. And there's a release date for it now. Yes, August 23rd. And so not too far away. Uh, the other thing that was massive in the news the last two days is uh, Star Wars uh, Outlaws. Yeah, um, new game. that. Yeah, good name, good looking game. Uh, it uh, the the gameplay in a couple spots looked a little odd, like kind of like some of the the blaster fire looked a little weird. But aside from that, the graphics looked like the best graphics I've ever seen in a video game ever. Um, Sometimes you have to take that with a grain of salt. Like usually, promotional material for video games does jazz it up a little bit, but I'm sure it is great. True, but they had gameplay shots versus okay. like like cinematics, and like that's what was the impressive part. Like it was incredible. Um, but the cinematics also looked really good too. looks like an interesting story it takes place between uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi. Mm. And it's really focused on the crime syndicate world. And they're uh, billing it as Star Wars's first open world video game. So it's really not governed by the storyline. You can go anywhere, anytime. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And it's something that I've just, I've always wanted. I mean, Star Wars Galaxies was kind of that, but that's like Xbox era. Not like that's pre Xbox 360. Like that's, not even really the same concept and yeah but this seems like they're going to have at least half a dozen planets where you can explore kind of in fairly open concept uh, we've got like kajimi is going to be one tatooine is going to be one likely cantonica which is canto bite mm. um it seems like um there's a uh, kiva there's a there's a few other ones like so it's it, it seems to be fairly diverse um you kind of upgrade your speeder upgrade your ship upgrade your blaster uh, there's a wanted system, so similar to Grand Theft Auto. It seems like they're really picking up on a lot of the cues of an open world game. They have something that Star Wars fans have wanted forever in an open world game, and that is walk in the planet, walk onto your ship, sit in the pilot's chair, drive it, fly out of the galaxy, yeah. sorry, fly out of the atmosphere, fly through clouds as your ship like shudders and stutters through like precipitation that's forming with no load screen no load screen yeah and then flying into the orbit around the planet and seeing its moons and being able to do whatever the hell you want travel through uh hyperspace lanes like doing that seamlessly is incredible and so i cannot wait for the playing experience with this game uh it looks really cool and it's only a year ish away 2024 could be december 2024 for all we know uh, but uh, that's not that far away after getting another like a tier game in Jedi survivor just a month or two months ago. So yeah. really, really excited for this one. Ubisoft. I love the Assassin's Creed games. And so taking some of that DNA, merging it with some red dead, grand theft auto, star Wars. Oh, sign me up. Bingo. I mean, I, I like some character customization. That'd be kind of cool, but the character looks good and there it doesn't bother me so much that it's not in uh, Jedi Survivor. So maybe the next one. Anything else? Uh, it does seem like we're going to be getting movies 
uh, for Star Wars yeah. in 2025. Forget 2025. It's two December. movies in 2025. Is it two in twenty twenty five or two in twenty twenty six? I I th I think it's two in twenty five, and I don't have any research to back it up, but that's what I saw a tweet saying. Yeah, because well, it was striking okay. how soon that is. Yeah, they are putting out, despite Kathleen Kennedy saying that they wanted to go back to more event style Star Wars, they're putting it. They're planning to put out three movies in two and a half year span. Okay, so that's not that uh, <laughs> at all i don't know whether that's it, it's a slam dunk that it'll be the um the ray movie uh and probably a slam dunk that it'll be the filoni movie yeah and i assume it'll be the mangled movie it seems like he's going to try and start writing it pretty soon after the writer's strike so it seems like it's got to be that one there's a chance though that it's the taika movie because he's also done a recent interview indicating that he is still kind of writing that and he has an ending and uh characters and a beginning and he's just he's working out the middle bits is what he said okay and so it kind of leads me to believe that he's got a really good seed of an idea that he's really excited about but just can't necessarily put together a full script um so so who knows but it does seem like it'll be the the three ones that were recently discussed at Celebration that are going to be coming out uh, and uh, not too far away. So I'm very excited I about mean, that. I mean, something's going to get delayed. If we're two years out now and there's three movies on the docket for the next for that little chunk of time, something's going to get pushed off. It just happens constantly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's also amidst a writer's strike. And so it all really has a false starting line anyway. Kind of. Yeah. Although, I mean, I have a hard time believing that in his own time, James Mangold isn't like tossing around ideas because he's on strike. Like he might not be, he might not be clocking hours, but like he wants to write a good movie, right? He can do that. True. James Mangold wouldn't be able to necessarily consult with others True. on what he can do. Someone like Dave Filoni doesn't need to doesn't consult need with anyone it. because he's the one they consult with. Yeah, so that's true. He can kind of write whatever the hell he wants. And he probably is. And just, of course, would never submit a draft. No, uh, I can't blame the man for that. He's, aware he, he wears many hats literally and figuratively <laughs> okay we good yeah all right well we'll be back with the next chunk of three chapters of heir to the empire if you have any thoughts uh if you're reading along we of course we we would love uh any thoughts you might have or if you're not reading along you have any questions stuff you want us to clarify because really we're like trying to get it all out there but it's hard to and it mm. really is a rich and exciting story a lot of fun to relay um please always feel free to reach out uh, recorder66podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at recorder66. Rate and review on your preferred podcast app. And until we are together again, may the force be with you.